chapter, and that can be found on page 11 of the Church Bibles, and it will also appear on the screen. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abraham fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abraham, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant." Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael his son, and all those born in his house, or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, 
And he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. And all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Well, we're going to look at that passage together. Uh, but before we do that, let's pray and ask for God's help. Our Father, we thank you for this time to spend in your word. And we pray that as we do, that you would speak to us by your spirit. Lord God, that you would reveal to us more of who you are uh, and what it means to, to know you uh, as we look at this passage now. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, I have recently finished uh, watching the, the Beckham documentary on Netflix. Uh, and it was fascinating for me uh, to get an insight into his character after years of, of, of hearing other people's opinions about him. It was quite revealing to, to get his perspective on the major events of his career uh, and the impact that they had on him personally. Uh, it's clear that even today, he is still deeply affected by some of the criticism that he received. And one of the things that I found quite jarring was the, the level of abuse that he experienced at the hands of the media after his red card in the 1998 World Cup in France. Uh, on the documentary, one of his former teammates uh, it comments that back then there was no thought given to someone's mental health. And some of the headlines would never be allowed today. And it struck me that, that the world has changed quite a bit since then. It only really feels uh, that in the last few years there's been a lot of focus on, on, on mental health and the impact that our, our thinking has on our behavior, on how significant our thoughts are for shaping the way that we live. And that's certainly true when it comes to God. What we think about God, who we think He is, and how we think He relates to us, it will have a huge bearing on how we live. And it's very easy for us, even as Christians, to have a perspective on God that's actually uh, unbiblical. Uh, to relate to God in a way that is shaped more by our perception rather than by what's revealed to us in His Word. When we face times of difficulty, times of, of, of trial, even if we've been Christians for years, we can lose sight of God's character and His ways. And, and, and maybe you're here today and maybe you're not a Christian, and maybe you have a particular understanding of what God is like. Maybe that's a view that's been formed by, by past experiences, maybe negative encounters with Christians, or, or perhaps a particular representation of, of God that you've picked up on TV or, or online. Wherever we're coming from today, if it's so important that we allow our view of God to be shaped on His terms, not on ours. That we let God speak for Himself. And to do that, we need to go to the Bible, to, to God's Word about Himself. And in the passage we're looking at today, we learn some things about God that, that if we take them to heart, they ought to have a huge impact on how we think and on how we live. 
And we only actually need to look at the first verse to learn two incredibly significant truths about God that ought to profoundly shape our lives. And if if we look there in verse 1, we read, When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty. Notice how God describes himself there. In Hebrew, the title that he uses is El Shaddai, God Almighty. What does it mean for God to be almighty? Uh, Well, in the context of these verses, it speaks of God's ability to do the miraculous. In verse 15, God reaffirms his promise to Abraham that his wife Sarah would give birth to a baby boy. Read there, and God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Now, God's promise was an extraordinary one, given the fact that Sarah had never given birth and was now, by any definition, well past childbearing age. And Abraham knew it. Verse 17, he reads, we read there, then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Abraham, he struggled to believe that God could fulfill a promise like this. Now, even if you allow for a slower aging process back then, the idea that, that God could do this is beyond the realms of believability for many. And yet God responds to Abraham's doubts, verse 19. He says, God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. So God is adamant that a real flesh and blood baby boy will be born to this old couple. Now, accounts like this in the Bible are enough for some people to dismiss uh, the Bible out of hand as a fantasy story. 90-year-old women giving birth. That kind of thing defies the laws of nature. Surely Christians uh, can't believe that that actually happened. Well, it's important to bear in mind that if God is truly almighty, if he is truly all-powerful, if he is the creator of the universe, then he also created the laws of nature that the universe is governed by. And surely if he created those laws, then he has the power to suspend and rearrange those laws when he chooses to. That's what a miracle is. It's an event that defies the laws of nature. If there's an almighty God, then we have to allow for the possibility of miracles. And although Abraham laughed at the possibility, it wasn't a laugh of unbelief. In the New Testament, in the book of Romans, in chapter 4, Paul actually comments on this incident in Genesis 17. He writes in Romans 4, verse 19, He did not weaken, Abraham did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No, unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith 
as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. So initially, Abraham struggled to believe. He wavered. But as he trusted God with his doubts, as he reflected on God's character, his faith was strengthened. And he became fully convinced, Paul says, that God was able to do what he'd promised. I wonder, are you someone who doubts God's power? Are there things in your life that you think are beyond God to do anything about? Do you believe that God can still work today in 21st century Scotland? Do you believe that He can heal brokenness? That He can still transform lives? That His church can still thrive? And if so, is that belief reflected in your behavior? Is it reflected in the way that you, you live your life, in the way that you relate to Christians and to, to non-Christians, in the way that you pray? Are you asking God to, to work in miraculous ways in the lives of those around you? What do our prayers, what do they say about what we believe God can do? Do we believe that He can do more than we ask or think? This passage reveals to us a God who is almighty, and that truth should, should give us great confidence and courage as His people. When we're wavering, when we are, are doubting, we can remember that Abraham was in the same boat, but he trusted God. He believed that God could do the impossible. Now, at first glance, it may look like there's only one major truth about God in that verse, that declaration that He is God Almighty. It's very clear. But there's another truth about God here, and it's a truth that's revealed when we think about the context of this verse. Now, if you're here last week, then you'll remember that we were in the Genesis chapter 16, and we saw how much of a, a mess Abraham and Sarai had made of their lives, how they'd failed to, to wait for God to fulfill His promise of a son and had taken matters into their own hands instead. And we saw how that had devastating consequences, not only on them, but also on their Egyptian servant girl, Hagar. Genesis 16 is a, a dark, dark episode in the life of God's people, an episode where they are guilty of using and abusing a young woman for their own ends. Instead of fulfilling God's call to be a blessing to the nations, they had been a curse to this Egyptian girl. In Genesis 16, Abraham and Sarah, they are guilty of some terrible, shameful things. And certainly those actions have had devastating consequences. I wonder, how would you have viewed these two? Condemned? Beyond the pale? Cancelled? Without hope? Deserving of everything that was coming to them? How do you view those who are guilty of shameful sins today? How do you view yourself in light of your own sin? 
How do you think God views you? See, many Christians go through life carrying a heavy weight of condemnation and shame for things they've done in their past. And the burden that they carry on themselves can also be heaped on others who fail in some way. And that weight of condemnation can come from a, a misplaced understanding of how God views His people. If you think that God is weary of you, that He is constantly dissatisfied with you, that He takes no pleasure in you, that He's really just tolerating you, that he's just shaking his head and puffing his cheeks at you. Well, then you fail to appreciate who he really is and how he relates to his people. See, the wonder of God's grace, his mercy, his compassion towards his people despite their sin is seen again and again and again throughout the Bible. And it's here in this opening verse of Genesis 17, that despite Abraham and Sarai's sin, despite their shameful behavior, God, in His grace, He hadn't finished with them. Far from it, He reached out to them. Thirteen years after the shameful events of chapter 16, God reaffirmed His commitment to them. And in fact, in, in chapter 17, we get an even fuller revelation of His promise to them. It's incredible. If you look with me again at verse 1, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. Then Abraham fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abraham, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Now look at this promise. God in His grace. He doesn't treat Abraham as his sins deserve. No, He lavishes grace upon grace upon grace upon him. He reveals to Abraham a far fuller, deeper, wider, more awesome description of his promise than ever before. He tells him he will multiply him greatly, that he will be the father not just of one nation, but of a multitude of nations, that he'll be exceedingly fruitful, that kings will come from him, and that his covenant with him will be everlasting. And notice God does this. He reveals all of this not after Abraham had shown some great faith and ascended some spiritual mountaintop. No, he reveals it to him 
after one of the most shameful events of his life. Isn't that amazing? That God would do that. And notice he gives him a new name. He calls him Abraham. And in verse 15, he gives Sarai a new name. He calls her Sarah. And twice he promises to bless her. She's included in all of this incredible promise. He, he gives them names that, that reflect their new lives as his people. Names that reveal their purpose as the ones he would fulfill his promises through. This is lavish grace. Incredible mercy. After all they'd done, how they had disobeyed him. We might think that at best, God would just try and tolerate them while holding their failures over them, reminding them from time to time just how unworthy they were. But no, he doesn't do that. He gives them a glorious vision of their future with him. And friends, if that is how he has responded to Abraham and Sarah, then how much more can we be sure of the depths of his love for us in Jesus? After all, we have an even fuller revelation of God's promise. We, we have seen that the fulfillment of the promised offspring and king that God speaks about here in these verses in Genesis 17. In Jesus, God's promised king has come, and he has fulfilled Abraham's side of the covenant. You see, you notice in these verses that God's covenant promise here is conditional on obedience, an obedience that required Abraham and his offspring to be blameless. But how could that possibly be achieved? Now, you'll notice in these verses, there's a lot of talk about circumcision. That was the sign of God's covenant with Abraham. And Abraham, he is quick to obey God's command and to, to carry out that sign. It's repeated again and again in the last few verses of this passage. We know, though, from what follows in the rest of the Abraham story, that even after this, even though Abraham was so quick to obey, he was still far from blameless. He still sinned. He still messed up. But the wonder of God's covenant promise is that for every time he failed, and for every time one of his descendants fails, there is one descendant, one offspring, a king, who succeeded. And it's because that offspring, King Jesus, lived a blameless life and yet chose to go to his death on a cross, it's because of what Jesus has done that Abraham and his descendants, that's all who have faith, in the promised king, it's because of what Jesus has done that our side of the covenant is fulfilled. In Jesus Christ, we are declared blameless. We don't earn it. 
We don't deserve it, but through his sacrifice, Jesus has borne our sin and has clothed us in his perfect spotless robes. And that means that when our heavenly Father looks on us, he doesn't look down his nose with disapproval at some wayward child who is constantly failing to measure up. No, he's full of delight and joy for his beloved children. Children who are blameless in his sight. Children he delights to bless. Children who have a glorious, everlasting inheritance that is theirs because Jesus died and rose again, securing that inheritance for us. And it's as his beloved children that we seek to obey. Not in order to be acceptable to our Heavenly Father, but because we've already been accepted. We respond not out of duty and drudgery and the faint hope that we'll maybe earn his favor one day, but out of love and joy secure in the knowledge that we belong to him. And it's as we recognize who we are in Jesus Christ, beloved children of the Almighty God, it's as we recognize that, that we can love one another with the kind of love that we've been shown, a love that is patient, a love that is gracious, a love that is kind, a love that covers over a multitude of sins, a love that points one another and the world around us to the greatest love of all, the covenant love of our Lord, expressed ultimately in the gift of His Son, Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that, that you love your children, that you delight in your children, that you are glad to, to give good things to your children. And we thank you ultimately for the, the glorious gift of your Son, in whom we have forgiveness and eternal life. Lord, would we see you as you have revealed yourself to us in your word. As a God who, who, who loves your children, who, 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 who wants us to know that you delight in us. Lord, would you help us to see who we are in Jesus Christ, blameless, forgiven, free. Would that radically shape the way that that, that we relate to one another. Lord, we've done nothing to deserve this. We could never possibly earn it. And yet in Christ, we can know forgiveness. Lord, we thank you that as we come to this table now to take bread and wine, it's a, a visible reminder to us of, of uh, that love that you have shown us in Christ. And so we pray that 
as we come, that your Spirit would minister to us, that you would strengthen our faith as we take bread and wine now. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Something that we do regularly here is take time to remember Jesus' death by taking bread and wine together. The bread and wine represent a meal that Jesus shared with his disciples shortly before he died. The bread represents Jesus' broken body and the wine, the blood that he shed. And as we come to this table today, it's a visible reminder to us of the sacrifice that Jesus made so that we might have forgiveness and eternal life, so that we might know what it is to have a heavenly Father who delights to call us his. At that meal, Jesus took bread and he broke it and he said to his disciples, this is my body broken for you. Take, eat, and remember me. He also took wine and he said to them, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. Drink and remember me. Jesus called all who loved and followed him to share in this meal. And so here at Grace Church Leith, we invite all those who love and follow Jesus and have been baptized to come and take the bread and wine. If you're not a Christian, we're delighted that you're here. And I just invite you to use this time to reflect on what we've just been thinking about in this passage. Uh, that this love uh, and relationship with the creator of the universe is available to you today uh, through the gift of his son, Jesus. So can I encourage you to think about receiving Jesus as those around you take the bread and wine. Uh, the way we do this year, we're just going to stand and sing two songs. Uh, and anytime during the two songs, please feel free to step out to either one of the tables at the back and take the bread and wine. You may want to take it back to your seat and, and take it there um, or just take it at the table. We're going to close our time by singing how deep the Father's love for us and all glory be to Christ. Sorry, <laughs> it's the wrong key. Sorry, everyone. <clears throat> How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all.
And so may grace, mercy, and peace from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rest and abide with us now and forever. Amen.